are listening to Surviving the Golden Age, the podcast. I am your host, Adam Tersiak Morgan. And this episode, we are talking to Josh Caterer from The Smoking Popes. The Smoking Popes were started back in the early 90s by the three Caterer brothers from just outside of Chicago, Illinois. They released their debut album, Get Fired, in 1993, so they're celebrating the 20th anniversary of that album this year. But they really hit their big break in 1995 when their song, Need You Around, was included on the uh, soundtrack for the film Clueless. So with Josh, we talked a little bit about the 20th anniversary, we talked a little bit about the movie Clueless, and we talked about uh, if they ever got uh, shit for being called Smoking Popes. And spoiler alert, they really haven't, except by my mom. So uh, without further ado, here's the interview. So this year marks the 30th anniversary of your debut album, uh, Get Fired. How do you think the album holds up? It depends what you compare it to, really. I think that, uh, you know, compared to the rest of the albums that we made, it's pretty uh, loose. And uh, we we hadn't quite figured out how to lock in together in our playing. So um, you could either take that as as good or bad. You, you might you might say you know these are a bunch of kids who don't know how to play their instruments yet or you could say this is great it has the exuberance of you know young punks who it's all energy and and uh reckless abandon kind of thing but i i stand by the songs on it i i think that i mean we still play the songs live in our set and they feel like they're they're worthy of being revisited so i think that makes it stand up in a certain regard so when you so you're reissuing the album um i assume you re-listened to it did you notice anything new about it not particularly i mean i've listened to it a lot (laughs) so okay it's not one of those things where you recorded it and forgot it (laughs) or like didn't listen to it I've, i've revisited it uh over the years a handful of times it's not like for me. It's not like discovering <clears throat> something new. It's like hello, old friend. Mm-hmm. What were the recording sessions like for the album? We went down to Lafayette, Indiana, and stayed with Master Genie, who engineered and mixed the album. And we had not met him before. We were recommended to him. Um, through a mutual acquaintance and we were familiar with some other albums that he had done. So we got connected with him via third parties, but we weren't friends with him already, which made it um, potentially disastrous for us to drive down there and agree to stay at his house for a whole weekend, like total immersion into master genie world. Um, But thankfully he's a great guy and he was easy to get along with and we became fast friends and he made the experience very positive for us. I do remember though, feeling like we were in a bubble of sorts because we were away from home. We didn't know anybody there except him. 
and we didn't know anybody in that town or know what to do. We were we just sort of stayed in his house and in the studio. And so uh, we we sort of felt like we were we had cut off our connections with the outside world and we were just living in this this recording bubble for a few days, which is a great way to work. Actually, it helps to focus. Uh, sometimes I remember when we would record like in uh, in Hoffman Estates, which is where we did a lot of our work with uh, with Phil Bonet. Um, you know, friends would stop by and it would, there would just be a little bit of an open door policy during our recording sessions. People would be coming and going. And so that's a little bit of a distraction. But we didn't have any distractions here. It was just all totally focused, which was pretty cool. We enjoyed that. Just for perspective, how far is uh, Lafayette, Indiana from where you guys were coming from? Oh, it's a few hours here. I'm going to look it up on my little computer here. Love making guess Google. It's 119 miles from where I am. Okay. All right. Yeah. So that's that's a little bit of a drive. If it had gone yeah. poorly, it would have been uh, annoying to have to drive back. <laughs> yeah, there was no commute option yeah. for that. You just had to commit to it. Yeah. So you sort of mentioned, uh, you know, recording in Hoffman Estates. What's um, what's your recording? process like now it's sort of in between we don't have friends stopping by the studio just to hang out uh but we do have wives and children showing up and uh and spending time with us so it's a little more of a of a family vibe in the studio these days um and we do our approach to recording these days is similar to the way that we recorded Born to Quit, which was that we did not record that album all at once. We would go in to the studio with two songs and just focus on those. And then we would wait a few more weeks and do another two. And that's how we're working on our new album right now. And it's it's a good way to work if you don't have a deadline creeping up on you and you you can have some space between the sessions. It's good to go in and just focus on one or two songs and really shape those songs according to what they need to be. I mean, you know, like we've done albums, for example, Get Fired, which we, we went in with nine songs and we recorded and mixed them all in two days. And it's it's sort of uh, it sort of becomes a blur in there. And you're you're thinking about them as a collection rather than, I think, focusing on each individual song and the, the little details and nuances of those songs. And there are pros and cons to each method, but we like doing it this way where it's more spaced out. So you said you're able to shape the songs better when you're going in for just doing two songs. Are the songs like completely written when you go in? It's just a matter of like just like adding a overdubbing a guitar here or whatever. Yeah, the songs are written. The The shaping that I'm talking about has to do with instrumentation, um, layers of guitars and vocals, but also having fewer songs allows you to do more takes of those songs, which we don't typically record a lot of takes, but we like to have played the song and run through it a lot to lock into how we want to play it once we start tracking. So um, if we just have two songs, we'll go in and we'll spend an hour just sort of like 
playing through those songs and getting our arrangements locked in. And then we'll say, okay, let's start rolling. And then we typically will do maybe three or four takes of a song that we're actually recording. Uh, but we, we record all the basic tracks simultaneously. So you're getting the drums, bass, and rhythm guitars all at once. And so it kind of feels like a one cohesive performance of the song and to have it has a semblance of liveness to it because we have you know played it together uh and the but then we have the freedom to go in and sort of touch things up oh i missed a note here so can i punch that in but then once we have the basic tracks of the songs typically our drummer and bass player leave and then eli and i will stay and just mess around with guitar stuff and put different layers on top of it nice so you guys recently released a new single called Madison. Can you just explain like what the writing process of that is like nowadays for you guys? Yeah, our writing process, I, I really write the songs. The thing that we do collaboratively is arranging the songs. Um, and it is, it's been that way 99% of the time that we've ever come up with new material is that, that I've, I've shown up with the chords and lyrics and melody done, but then we start playing it together as a band and start working on the ups and downs, the transitions, uh, everybody's individual parts that they're playing. So, uh, and as far as my writing process goes, it's hard to describe. You know, honestly, I've written a lot of songs, but it's still slightly my mysterious to me where they come from. Like, I, I all I can say is that I, I tend to go through seasons where I'm writing a lot and uh, I'll have, you know, two or three songs rolling around in my brain at once. And then I write a, a batch of songs to work with for an album. And then I kind of stop for a while and, you know, six months or a year can go by without me writing a song. But then I start getting a kind of restlessness an itch that can only be scratched by writing more songs. <laughs> <laughs> Do the songs like originate with like, just like, I don't know, you're driving in the car and you're like singing something in your head to yourself? Or is it like you need to be at a guitar and it starts with the guitar part and then vocals and lyrics come? Um, it, it typically starts one of two ways. One would be that I'll be somewhere like driving um, or even like at a concert or like watching a movie or something, something where I'm hearing music. A lot of times it'll be I'm, I'm hearing some piece of music and it inspires like a, a thought a phrase, a one line of a melody that is sort of inspired by what I'm, and then I'll make a note of that on my phone and sort of flesh that out later into a full song that ends up sounding nothing like the song that I was listening to when I got that idea. That It's just sort of like, that's the spark. Mm -hmm. Um, but the other way is if I pick up a guitar and start messing around, um, in which case, you know, I'm, I'm writing some music first and I'm going to put lyrics in later. But sometimes the other way, if I've, if, if I've had a spark where I'm like writing a couple of lines of lyric on my phone, or even sometimes I'll like open up the voice memo and just like sort of quietly sing like two lines into the phone and and then I'll revisit that later. That's more like I'm starting with a lyrical idea. And sometimes I write an entire set of lyrics that way and then put it to music, which I find easier to do. Uh, that makes sense to me. Okay. So uh, like a lot of people my age, I first heard Smoking Popes because you guys were on the Clueless soundtrack. 
I tried looking on the internet to see if I could find a like story about how it came about. And I couldn't really like, how did you end up on there? We, we got signed to Capitol records and we also signed a publishing deal with polygram publishing at the same time, which was like late 1994, early 95, uh, I can't remember what what month it was when we actually signed it, but th- there was this sort of like a whirlwind period for us where we were talking to major labels and publishing companies from late 94 into early mid 95. And um, once, though, we signed with Polygram, they went to work getting our music placed in different things. And so, uh, you know, the song Need You Around had already been recorded for the album, but um, what the publishing company did was just take a few songs from the album and basically shop them around to uh, to different places. So we, we wound up with a song not only in Clueless, but also one in Tommy Boy and a song in another movie called Boys that starred Winona Ryder that is a little more obscure these days. It, it wasn't quite as good as the other ones, but it did have Winona Ryder in it, so it's worth watching just for that yes it's a good cachet to have yeah <laughs> do you have like a favorite like out of those out of the movies that your songs have been in do you have like a favorite one yeah i mean it might be a little obvious for me to say clueless um but it's a really good movie i think that one stands up the most out of those it's just well written it's got a certain wit to it did you uh did you guys have like a lot of say in where your music got placed or was polygram just sort of like hey we can place you in this and you were like oh great uh we would have had the power to say no if we really didn't want to be involved in something but like they told us, hey, your song could be in a movie that has uh, Alicia Silverstone. And we said, yes. <laughs> and that's all kind of we knew about the movie. <laughs> oh, nice. I was wondering if you could, like get to like read a script or have like a synopsis of the movie or anything before. I seeing like a short description of what the movie would be. You know, it's sort of like a young adult movie about high school coming of age, something, and it has Alicia Silverstone. And we're like, all right, sounds good. Let's do it. When you end up being on these soundtracks and stuff, did you ever get called like sellouts by like the local scene or anything? Or was that not really a thing? I don't don't recall us ever actually getting called sellouts. Although we were really worried about it because there was a lot of finger pointing going on in those days. Most famously at the time, Jawbreaker got a lot of backlash from their fan base about signing to a major. And so we were we were really paranoid about that. And I, I, the result is that we became really uncooperative with our label about a lot of the promotional stuff that they wanted us to do. And that made us have a terrible relationship with Capital that ended up not, not working out. <laughs> do you like looking and back on it? Do you regret not being more cooperative or is it just like is what it is? Uh, yeah, I I do regret that. I regret certain things. Um, we were offered a tour with Alanis Morissette where we would have been main support for Alanis Morissette, who at the time was absolutely huge. This was like, you ought to know kind of era. Yeah, that era. And uh, I said no to that. <laughs> Much to the bewilderment of everyone at Capitol Records. But I would attribute it to this self-consciousness that I had about, like, it was bad enough that we 
that we signed to a major label. But now we would go out supporting this this very commercial top 40 artist who, I mean, I mean, a lot is more said. This is not a, a, a criticism of her to say that her music is not punk. I think I, no one would really argue that she is punk or ever claimed to be punk. But to me, the fact that she was so glaringly not punk, it just it felt like it would be this immediate sort of abandonment of, of our identity as a punk band. And so we were saying yes to um, tours with, you know, smaller bands and bands that were like a little edgier. Like we agreed to, to go out with Goo Goo Dolls, who nowadays are very not punk, but the but at that time they at least had they were at least punk adjacent because their first few albums are if you're familiar with those there's a kind of very replacementy kind of energy to those and so we were like all right we can do that we we were just looking for things that kind of were aligned with how we saw ourselves as a band and it just seemed like Alanis Morissette was a different planet entirely but in retrospect it would have been fun and really wild to do that it, it would have i don't know Maybe maybe some of our fans would have called us sellout, but I think it wouldn't have mattered. In in retrospect, the whole idea of selling out seems ridiculous since nobody cares about that anymore. Yeah, I was gonna say that. It's selling out is a very like was a very like, I don't know, eighties, nineties, maybe even early two thousands kind of concept, but it's sort of gone now. <laughs> gone now which is very freeing but it's like man i i could have i could have hung out with alanis morissette if i hadn't been so uptight about that <laughs> did you you've never gotten a chance to meet her since no i never met her <laughs> all right well we'll just put it out there that you know alanis if for some reason you're listening josh wants to hang out <laughs> yeah we're still open to it <laughs> Perfect. This, this time we'll say yes <laughs> I'll just take you back. I asked for uh, the Clueless soundtrack for Christmas one year. And uh, my mom uh, told me later that um, she didn't buy it for me because um, it had uh, smoking popes on it. And she said that that name didn't sound very nice to her because she was a a nice Catholic woman. So um, I was wondering, like, what have you gotten backlash for your name before? Like any stories about that? No. We haven't. My mom's the only person ever objected to the name. Your mom's the only one. No, I'm sure there were Catholic folks who objected to our name. We just weren't hearing about it at the time. Uh, We weren't Catholic. And we tended not to try to get shows in Catholic uh, institutions for the most part. So it's not like we were losing out on employment opportunities because of it. Yeah, no, so no, no, uh, no Catholic league ever protesting outside of one of your shows with signs and stuff. No, which is a little disappointing now that you mention it. <laughs> well, I know I mean, you have some tour dates coming. Backlash, well, uh, look at the backlash that uh, Sinead O'Connor got for tearing up that picture of the Pope. Exactly. And uh, you would think, I mean, maybe tearing up his picture on on live television is a little more dramatic, but still a uh, a religiously irreverent name that could potentially offend Catholics. And we get nothing. We get no controversy. Well, I know you, I, I'm from Connecticut originally. And so uh, I know you guys are hitting Connecticut on this tour. So I'll, I'll call any Catholics I know there and see. Get them to maybe put some picket signs together and just like form a little anti-smoking popes group 
outside of the show. We could get some media attention through that. I think it's about time. Yeah. Okay. I'll see what I can do. All right. Make some calls. <laughs> so what should, uh, besides obviously protests, what should fans expect of these shows? We're, uh, we're playing songs from the recently reissued Get Fired. We're not playing the entire album, uh, but we are playing a handful of songs uh, to celebrate that release. And the, we'll have a vinyl reissue of it available at our shows with expanded uh, liner notes and never before seen photos and all that good stuff. But also we, we try to represent all the different eras of our career in, in our sets so um we're playing old stuff and new stuff and stuff in the middle and just kind of mixing it all together and playing it with as much gusto and passion as we possibly can did you guys have thoughts of playing um get fired front to back uh we did we thought about it but you know especially because the album's not that long really i think it clocks in at like 28 minutes so we could play that whole album and have time left over for a variety of other songs. But um, I don't know, we just we didn't want to be chained to that. We wanted to be able to sort of swap out which of those songs we're playing and to keep uh, a nice balance between the old and the new stuff. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Obviously, we're talking about 30 years since Get Fired. I was wondering, like, how has touring changed for you? We used to tour in the 90s uh, quite extensively. There was a period of time where we were touring full time, and that's what we were all doing for a living. Then uh, the band broke up for a few years. And then when we got back together, we toured pretty hard for a couple of years. But since then, it tends to be kind of sporadic. Our general approach has been to go out uh, a couple of weeks here, a couple of weeks there, and, and we'll play... You know, we haven't been out to the West Coast for a few years, but for a long time, we would kind of do two weeks on the West Coast, two weeks on the East Coast, and then and then just kind of play around the Midwest. So we we would end up playing kind of 50 to 75 shows a year, which is enough to uh, be fun, but it's a lot less shows than real full time bands are doing. So I think as a result of that approach, we never really got burned out on touring. And when we do play out of town, out of state, um, we're pretty excited. It always feels fresh to us and we're not just road weary. Um, these days we are, uh, you know, kind of ramping things up. I think over the next year or two, especially as we approach um, the release of a new full length album uh, next year, uh, we are going to we're going to shoot for um, maybe even more than 75 shows next year. <laughs> All right. We're going to we're going to get back in the groove of touring and and um, sort of a mixture of headlining tours and opening slots and festival stuff. And out with the 